Welcome to NFP's Insights from the Experts podcast. Each episode showcases timely expertise and perspective from members of the NFP community, delivering information, analysis, and solutions that address our clients' most significant challenges. Hello, and welcome to the Benefits Compliance Podcast. I'm Chase Cannon. I'm here with my colleague, Suzanne Spradley. We are both attorneys with NFP's legal and compliance team, and we are on the podcast to help break down interesting and challenging issues that are in front of employers with respect to their group health plan offerings. We like to focus on compliance here, and today we are going to get into a fairly technical issue, but one that is important for employers to be aware of. That is ERISA preemption. So ERISA is obviously a federal law that we deal with when we talk about Forms 5500 and SPDs and plan documents and other issues. Um, Today, we're going to talk about the interaction of ERISA and state law through this issue called ERISA preemption. We're also going to talk about an important court case that just came down at the appellate level and why that's important for employers. But Suzanne, let's start with a general scope of ERISA preemption. What is ERISA preemption? What does it mean? Okay, I like to go backwards a little bit first. Um, Obviously, the Constitution is our federal system under which federal and state governments share power. But when the federal and state laws collide or they conflict, then the Constitution says the government or the federal law wins. And so uh, today, the federal law we're going to talk about is ERISA, and we're coming up on its 50th uh, anniversary next year. It was enacted in September of 1974. Uh, there's a lot of people who are concerned by the erosion of ERISA. They're concerned with cases that, like we'll talk about today, that um, are beginning to um, impact possibly the preemption, uh, ERISA preemption, which we're going to dig into today. But taking a step back, looking at why was ERISA passed, I'd love to look at history. Um, In 1963, the Studebaker Auto Manufacturing Plant in South Bend, Indiana was closed. And the problems, you know, were not really based on automotive quality, but financial management. And and the companies at that that time were not required to make disclosures, financial disclosures. So the employees were not even aware that um, this closure was about to happen. And even worse, uh, Studebaker slashed or completely denied the pensions for about 4,000 employees. And so, you know, the insufficient funding or the financial mismanagement meant that the company couldn't pay their retirement benefits. And so this led to a lot of public scrutiny uh, regarding private pension plans and and their mismanagement at that time. And so ERISA was really a result of that occurring. So today, health benefits obviously have become much more prominent under ERISA and the pension aspect of ERISA is is really secondary. But for purposes of health plans, it's important to understand that when Congress passed it, in part, it was to provide this national standard for employee benefit plans and to minimize the patchwork effect of states enacting their own laws. And this is very important, especially for health plans, to minimize administrative and financial burdens on employers, um, especially those that have employee participants in multiple states. And so to that end, ERISA preemption is extremely important because um, it supersedes, in quote, any and all state laws insofar as they may now or hereafter relate to any employee benefit plan. So we'll dive into that preemption in just a minute, but it's a very important aspect of ERISA. Yeah, I think you're going to get into some of the details of what that means to relate to an employee benefit and how state state laws end up falling into that bucket. But This is a great uh, beginning and a good segue into the lawsuit. 
So can you give us some background on the various players involved in this lawsuit? Yeah, so the lawsuit was is titled Pharmaceutical Care Management Association, PCMA, um, versus Mulready, Mulready. And Mulready is the insurance commissioner in Oklahoma. The PCMA is um, really a, a, an association, a trade association for that industry. It's a national association that represents PBMs. Um, and so it's really a lawsuit where, you know, it's the state defending their state law against the trade association, really um, trying to put things in perspective as it relates to um, states governing uh, the PBMs. And so there's a collision of federal and state law. And really, if you want to read a well-drafted opinion, I'd say definitely look this one up. I think even though there's a simple description of the ecosystem of prescriptions, I think I'll read from that quickly. Um, they say filling doctors' prescriptions is a part of everyday life, and pharmacists dispense prescribed drugs. Consumers pay either by themselves or with co-payments between them and their insurers. But beneath these commonplace transactions lies a complex web of contracts and business relationships that are anchored by five key players, drug manufacturers, wholesalers, pharmacies, health plans, and PBMs. I just think that's a great description, really, to simplify what's going on. Um, but as we look at PBMs in particular, you know, it would be prohibitively expensive for plans, which must buy, you know, as, as a fiduciary, the, the plan sponsors, the plan administrators must control cost um, to allow health plan beneficiaries to just obtain any drug they wanted at any pharmacy they wanted. It would just be cost prohibitive. So plans are designed, set terms for their beneficiaries to use the plan's prescription drug benefits. And that includes, you know, which drugs the plans cover, how much the plan will pay for their drugs, and where, you know, at which pharmacies the beneficiaries can have them the prescriptions filled. And so together, when you look at the pharmacy, the cost sharing terms, the you know, the pharmacy network, the formularies, all of that comprise the plan's drug benefit design. So one advantage to a plan of using a PBM is accessing their pharmacy network, because plans don't really have the ability to assemble their own pharmacy network and, and also to try to negotiate with the drug manufacturers. So PBMs play an important role for ERISA plans. Okay, great. Thank you, Suzanne. That's that's helpful to understand who the players are and uh, the advantages to PBMs. And I think that's going to be important as we get into understanding uh, the, the outcome of the case here. But tell us about the state law, because when we're talking ERISA preemption, we're talking you know, ERISA versus that state law. So give us some details on Oklahoma's law here. So in Oklahoma, they, they passed in 2019 um, a, a law that says the patient's right to pharmacy choice, PRPC Act. And again, it regulates PBMs and pharmacy networks. The history of it, I think, is a bit interesting. You know, it started because there was concerns about PBMs power over the independent pharmacies in Oklahoma. And that's really where you see a lot of these state laws emanating is to, to try to protect the independent pharmacies. So when the legislature passed their first version of this act, it was called the Prescription Access and Affordability Act. And the governor knew, obviously, something about federal preemption, and he, he actually vetoed it. He was concerned that it was attempting to regulate health plans sponsored by Oklahoma employers in a way that would be preempted by federal law. And he's really on target with that. Um, two weeks later, the legislature came back and unanimously passed a second version. And this time it was pared down a bit. The governor uh, thought it would be OK, and he signed it. And so it's codified. It's found in the uh, Oklahoma Insurance Code. And it really sets out to establish minimum and uniform access to a provider and standard to provider network of pharmacies, standards and prohibitions on restrictions of a patient's right to choose a pharmacy provider. But in reality, really what it does 
is it bolsters the bargaining power of those independent pharmacies in Oklahoma. So as it relates to the the appellate case, among other things, the the three provisions that it was really focusing on was that, number one, it requires pharmacy networks to meet certain geographic restrictions, and so it effectively eliminated the mail-order-only pharmacies, and that includes the specialty networks. Number two, it required inclusion of any willing pharmacy in a in a preferred network, in a plan's preferred network. And then number three, it prohibited cost-sharing discounts as a way of incentivizing the participants to use particular pharmacies. So, you know, as, as you can see, that really gave some advantage to the independent pharmacies that they didn't have previously. Right. So some serious regulation there from Oklahoma on PBMs, how they're structured. And uh, so, so take us to the lawsuit here. What, what, uh, what was being challenged and, and how, did, how did that work? Well, it, it, the original lawsuit really um, focused on more provisions than just those three. So the trade group, the PCMA, challenged the law as preempted by ERISA. The district court uh, disagreed with the PCMA and said that, no, in fact, this act is not preempted. And it really kind of bifurcated on certain provisions. It, it left three provisions that it said were not preempted. Um, so the PCMA appealed up to the Tenth Circuit that said um, these pr three provisions that we just mentioned were, in fact, preempted by ERISA because they dictate plan design and they regulate really central matters of plan administration. And so just on August 16th, so fairly recently, a three-judge panel at the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Tenth Circuit ruled that the Oklahoma law regulating pharmacy networks, which was, again, directly restricts self-insured plan designs, um, was preempted by ERISA. They reversed the lower court decision, um, and it's really viewed in, uh, by many as a very important step toward bolstering ERISA preemption, which has, again, been a concern of many. So it's it's welcome news in light of, as you had mentioned earlier, you know, some of the state activity that's occurring. Uh, let's go back to ERISA preemption. And you talked about that a little bit up front and laying the groundwork here. But really, what does the court get into? And I know this will get a little bit technical, but what, what does the court look at when they're figuring out whether ERISA wins versus the state law? So let's look to the uh, you know the language in ERISA that provides this preemption. It says in the ERISA preemption clause um, that ERISA supersedes any and all state laws insofar as they may now or hereafter relate to any employee benefit plan. So the courts have found that a state law relates to in an ERISA plan, if number one, it has a connection with the ERISA plan, or number two, if the state law has a reference to an ERISA plan. So the trade group, the PCMA, only makes the argument related uh, um, that uh, they're the connection with argument. So they only say that the state law fails because it has a connection with, uh, it connects to the ERISA plan. Now, Oklahoma, in their argument, focused on the fact that they said this act really should not be preempted because it's regulating PBMs. It's not even regulating health plans. And so the purpose of this was really to get our arms around the PBM and, and the, that pharmacy market. And But as I mentioned a minute ago, ERISA preempts state laws and relates to ERISA plans in two ways. And I said one was a connection with and one was a reference to. So while Oklahoma is focusing on that reference to language, 
um, the trade group was focusing on the prior one, a connection with language. On a side note, I think it's interesting because other courts have said that state laws relate to ERISA plans, even if they regulate only third parties. And we had the district court in this case observe that it would be practically impossible for an ERISA plan to manage its own pharmacy benefits and avoid using a PBM because it would mean foregoing the economies of scale and the purchasing leverage and the network of pharmacies that only a PBM can offer. And so if a, if a plan's choice is between self-administering its benefits is really no choice at all because it's really not in, in reality something that can occur, then when you regulate PBMs, it really does function as a regulation of the plan itself. So some of that even came up from the district court. But Let's go back to really the argument in the case. And the presumption preemption rises or falls on the basis of whether the act's PBM regulations have impermissible connection with the ERISA plan. The court said that the access standards dictate which pharmacies must include a PBM network. And on top of that, the all willing provider provision requires that even the pharma that those pharmacies be invited to join the PBM's preferred network. And the discount prohibition requires the cost-sharing copayments be the same for all network pharmacies, whether retail or mail order, so standard or preferred. So each provision that we just mentioned either directs or forbids an element of plan structure or benefit design. Thus, in the end, the court stated that together, these three provisions effectively abolish the two-tiered network structure and eliminates any reason for plans to employ mail order or specialty pharmacies and obliges PBMs to embrace every pharmacy into the fold. So these network restrictions are quintessential state laws that mandate benefit structure, and ERISA forbids this. So they really did focus on the idea of the plan administration and the impact that this state law was having on a plan's administration. Now, we may see that the state will choose to seek an additional appeal. If you remember, I said it went before a three-judge panel. They can go before the full panel. Um, at the appellate level, or they can try to appeal it up to the U.S. Supreme Court. So we will have to watch and see what comes from that, but we'll certainly be reporting on it. Yeah, excellent description of the arguments and the outcome there, Suzanne. Really, it's, it's Oklahoma's law is um, really disarming what PBMs are uh, meant to be, and the PBM aspect of that and the prescription drug aspect is such a big part of the plan that it's the court is really just saying, like this is, it's too hard to build a plan. So therefore, without that, without the PBM involvement, and, and therefore there is a strong enough connection that ERISA preempts the law. So let's bring this back to employers. Why is this so important for employers? Yeah, and I really want this part of it for the employers to take away from this and why it's important for you to support anything that bolsters ERISA preemption because it's so advantageous for employers because you know state laws generally provide more expensive remedies than the remedies that are available under ERISA. So um, you can use ERISA to protect yourself from exposure to liabilities that are associated with state court remedies, for, for example. And in addition, it allows plans to further limit potential liability by setting time limits um, in the plan on when a participant may file a lawsuit for benefits. And finally, if there's a dispute with a participant that arises around benefit denials, um, the ERISA plans are generally entitled to deferential treatment in a federal court. So, you know, generally employee lawsuits over denied benefits are very expensive. They're time consuming um, and they can be reduced if an employer is able to show that the, 
you know, the claim was properly paid according to the terms, for example, of an SPD. Again, an, an important piece of document for you to have. It's, it's very important for an employer to be able to remove these cases to federal court rather than to state court for these reasons. And so there's a significant advantage for the employers to have the ERISA preemption. And again, in federal court, there's no jury trials. There's no punitive damages as, as there are in state courts. So um, just uh, the, the that in and of itself is one reason to to really support ERISA preemption. Important for employers, important, especially because it feels like lately we've seen several cases, I think you alluded to this, but several cases coming down where it felt like this ERISA preemption was being eroded. And so I think this is a case that signals maybe there's some strength coming back to ERISA preemption, which, as you pointed out, with these advantages is, is important for employers. So, Suzanne, any final thoughts here that would be important for our audience to hear? Well, we've actually we've heard from clients that due to this PRPC act in Oklahoma, they were being forced to change plan designs, like, for example, ceasing to provide mail order only pharmacy programs for their employees that were residents in Oklahoma. So now this is no longer the case. But overall, it's important to remember that eroding ERISA preemption will adversely impact employers and for litigation in one way. Um, also, because for the administrative burden that it would cause, and and really, it's also um, that could lead to employers wanting to cut back benefit coverage due to that administrative burden or that exposure to liability in the courts, um, and it, it it also subjects, of course, the employees to um, you know the state laws that are occurring, rather than there being a, a federal um, consistency throughout. So, ultimately, I think the employees' financial and, and health well being would be impacted. Right. Great. Well, thanks for this uh, informative chat on this uh, episode of our podcast. We will continue to monitor the uh, developments related to this case in our Compliance Corner newsletter, which is available at nfp.com. And that's a great resource to follow this case and other developments in the world of benefits compliance. So, Suzanne, thanks so much for walking us through this. And as we like to say on the podcast, that's a wrap. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for joining us.